Hello, this is Rachel Babin from Oncology News Australia, proud producers of the Oncology Journal Club. Welcome to today's special New Year edition. We thought it would be cheerful to end the year with a discussion of the best interviews, quirkiest papers and funniest moments from the podcast this year. It's a light-hearted episode, so I hope you enjoy and please do get in touch if you'd like to appear on the OJC in 2021. As ever, links to all of the papers discussed today are available in the notes. For the latest oncology news and podcast updates, subscribe to the Oncology Newsletter for free on oncologynews.com.au. This is Rachel Babin, and this is the Oncology Podcast. G'day, g'day, g'day. What a shit of a year 2020 was. Well, we're here in 2021, about to dawn on us, and goodness knows what's ahead. What do you reckon, Craig? It's got to be better than 2020. Oh, I would be careful what you wish for. Eva, I don't think we're out of the woods by a long shot. And I'm the glass half full guy. But, you know, worry about that sort of untested, unproven track record yet of the vaccines. Everyone seems to think, you know, it's all over. And then we've got the new strains emerging and who knows. And I think the economy is going to be terrible. So one good thing is Trump's hopefully leaving the White House. That's probably a bonus. Maybe. Big shout out to Steve Vogel and... (laughs) In New York. G'day, Steve. Did you see in The Guardian, they had a sound cloud. They asked their listeners to use one word to describe 2020. And Rachel, you might need to use some bloopers. So it was like. Cluster. House, cluster. Yeah. yeah. It was like. And then someone put challenging, which was the diplomatic. And someone put revolutionary or something. But the dominant words were all. Unmentionable words. Uh, so, Hans, you're over in Belgium. Things are not great over there. 2021? Yeah, I'm a bit afraid that my mood will get much worse because I used to travel around Christmas, usually to a sunny place like the Canary Islands because I need my UV and my vitamin D levels to go up. And they will stay quite low for the whole winter. So not a good prospect, if you ask me. And it doesn't have anything to do with having to do more work and less holidays, does it? (laughs) Actually, that's the hidden message. Yeah, I have to work too hard. I'm not used to that. Amazing. So, look, this is our welcome to the new year edition. We've been doing the OJC podcast for almost a year. We've had a lot of fun and we hope we've got lots of regular listeners who tune in on their way to work or riding their bike or just hanging around doing the gardening to catch up with the latest in what's happening in the oncology world. Craig, how many listeners do you think we have? Oh, in Belgium, a handful, but the rest of the world, thousands. I've no idea either. Ah, Well, there's probably at least four of us, so we have a lot of fun doing it. So, I'm going to ask you guys some questions looking back on 2020, the cluster of the year that it was. But in oncology, (laughs) there were some great advances. So starting with you, Hans, what do you think was the most practice-changing paper or presentation in 2020? Yes, Eva. So if I just think of 2020, I have maybe 
two papers in my mind, and they both are related to immune therapy, of course. What else? As the first one is, I think, in HCC, so hepatocellular carcinoma, we have a new standard first-line treatment with a combination of atezolizumab plus bevacizumab. As you know, it was published somewhere around May 2020 in New England. And I think this is a very good combination. I didn't expect this combination to work, but we see it more and more that the combo with immune therapy and anti-angiogenesis is working really fine. And we've got to remember that on a global basis, HCC, although we think of it as a more rare tumor, is the commonest cancer in Asia, at least, yep. and huge all around the world, Latin America. So huge impact, that paper. But ever, I think it will be important also to define which subgroup within HEC has the most benefit with this combination. Because as you know, in Asia, the causes of HEC are a bit different than in the rest of the world, for example. So I think still some work to do. Great. And your second paper? The second paper is also in the field of immune therapy, but they're in colon cancer. We know in MSI high tumors that immune therapy works well, but I think after the keynote 177, everybody agrees that pembrolizumab first line in MSI high colorectal cancer should be the standard. It's also published this month, I think, in the New England, and also EMA has already recommended approval, so we expect the final decision, I think, in the first quarter of 2021. And as you know, FDA already approved it in June of this year. So Pembro versus chemo with some fantastic quality of life data as well. I think that really is practice changing, isn't it? Yeah. Great. So over to you, Craig. What were your practice changing picks of 2020? Yeah, I think, again, it's possibly following on from Hans's idea. It's a whole field of immunotherapy, isn't it? So we've seen in a number of cancers ongoing advances in that. And so it's really, we're getting to the stage where we're using combo IO, chemo, or just IO on its own as first line in a number of different cancers. But if we go outside of the IO space, I mean, one that showed a survival advantage in lung cancer and EGFR mutant, which is, of course, rare, but showing disease-free survival in the adjuvant space. So, you know, we're moving some of these new treatments into the adjuvant. That was the late-breaking abstract at ASCO, the Adura study. It may not be accessible to every market yet, but I think that's shifting the practice in a niche, but an important group of lung cancer patients. Well, I had that down as my most talked about paper, actually, because there was a huge controversy about the primary endpoint of that adjuvant study being disease-free survival rather than overall survival. And so the whole issue of whether you were just treating early metastatic disease and whether you get the same outcome if you had a limited duration of adjuvant therapy. It was three years in the trial and then brought it back. So that, I think, was on my list as the most controversial trial. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. What did you think, Eva? Well, I had a couple. I had Keynote 177, of course, but I also had from San Antonio and Steve Vogel, and Amelia McCartney did a great discussion on this in our San Antonio special. So if you haven't downloaded that podcast, I'd really recommend it. But the R-Exponder, the Responder trial using Oncotype DX, mm. postmenopausal, hormone receptor positive, node positive women, 
these women struggle with chemotherapy and the data shows that you can use this genomic profile of the tumour to show no benefit of chemotherapy over and above hormone therapy. And the interesting thing with that, is, as we discussed in the podcast, is it's limited by the funding for the test, which is for in Australia around $5,000. But how much does a course of chemo cost to the patient, to the health system, quality of life? It's way more than that. And it just brings this whole issue of how our funding is, is, you know, you can't say chemo drugs are cheaper than the test, therefore the test is not valuable. If we can give less chemo, I guess that was one of the themes of this year, was giving less chemo. Yeah, absolutely. But you said the Dura was one of the most controversial and most talked about papers, but I think the most talked about, if we want to move on to that, surely has to be one of the COVID papers, either the first one reported out of Wuhan in the cancer world. That was a really impactful paper because that showed having cancer was a risk factor for severe COVID. And as a consequence, and we'll get on to the best paper of the year, later. But as a consequence, there was a whole lot of papers written about the impact of COVID in managing cancer patients. I would also nominate a couple of papers in the Lancet Oncology in July in the same edition. So work out of the UK showing, you know, this excess immortality in cancer because of the impact on delays to diagnosis and the impacts on the health system. So I think that was a real shake up at sort of the height of the first kind of global surge. And we're living that now, aren't we, here in Victoria, as Grant MacArthur spoke to us about in another OJC Meets podcast. If you haven't listened to that one, really interesting. You're talking about the impact on undiagnosed cancers in Victoria and the fact that probably the impact of COVID more than the direct deaths in Australia will be about the delay diagnosis in cancer and excess in cancer mortality. That might exceed well, let's hope that we don't see another surge with a major impact of COVID. But as it stands at the moment, that cancer impact of delayed diagnosis may be more impactful than COVID itself, which is quite sobering. And elsewhere in the world where COVID is rampant, there's undoubtedly effects on impact of other non-COVID disease. But COVID really revolutionised publications, didn't it? The speed of publications, these mega consortiums, international consortia that published. I think it's much more sharing of information, even the COVID vaccines and the issue about do we wait for the publication to really decide if it's working. So the next category is the most quirky paper that we discussed. Craig? Mm, I think it might be Hans talking about mid-bikini. I must say, I also post a lot of pictures on social media, also of my private time. Doctors are also just regular people, so I think everybody should be allowed to do that. Hans, what do you think? I think it was the talk about the coffees, no? The fact that I drink 12 coffees a day. How many cups a day do you have, Craig? Three or four. Hands? Somewhere between eight and 12. You're joking. No, no. I start before noon at least with four at until 10, and then usually in the afternoon and the evening. Oh, my God. That explains a lot about you. 
and with some nice golden chocolate. No, because that's really unhealthy. So that's why I I stick with drinking coffee. And Eva, you, what do you select? Look, the Disney movies, that was actually a study. And now a paper that I've bought specifically for you, Craig. It's called The Effect of Viewing Disney Movies During Chemotherapy on Self-Reported Quality of Life Amongst Patients with Gynecological Cancer. Where do you find these papers, Eva? Where do you find them? All right, so let's go to our most amazing guest and some of the funny things they said. Obviously, Craig, you've got a new mate in New York. Yeah, my new bestie. Big shout out to Steve Vogel in New York. What an amazing Ooh, guest. Some gold moments. Yeah, the drunk spider moment. The picture of how they allocate alpha looks like a web made by an intoxicated spider. It is impossible to follow. <laughs> but Eva, who was your favourite? I had two. I had David Fagenbaum, who just has such a wonderful story. Yeah, I was uh, training to become an oncologist in memory of my mom, who had passed away just a few years before from brain cancer. And out of nowhere, I uh, just became deathly ill. It really started with fatigue that I had never felt before. I noticed some lumps and bumps in my neck. I noticed fluid accumulating around my ankles and um, it all just didn't really seem to make sense. And, and I was busy as a medical student. I was, um, you know, trying to, to become a physician. And um, there's, as, as you know, there's no time in, in medical school to be tired or to take breaks. And um, so I just kind of kept pushing through and um, I started getting really bad abdominal pain and, and I really wanted to see a doctor, but I, I knew I just needed to make it through this, this one particular rotation that I was working on. And so I just kept working, working, working. And, um, I took my exam and then I went down the hall in, in the hospital to the emergency department and, um, to try to get checked out. And they ran a series of blood tests and, um, came back and said, David, your liver, your kidneys and your bone marrow are shutting down. We have to hospitalize you right away. If you haven't listened to it, it's really only second perhaps to Mark Lewis or they're equal. Mark Lewis is one of the biggest oncology influencers on Twitter. He just tweets hilarious and wonderful and heartwarming stuff. Actually, my daughter who's non-medical follows him now. She loves his tweets. And I found my interview with him was just full of hilarious moments and also some real pearls. I like to speak to the fact this is, I think, a very humane profession. And for all the science of it, so much of it is emotional. The day it stops being emotional is the day I want to stop doing it because if I become insensate to the human side of this, then I'm just a kind of a chemo dispensing robot. And that's exactly what I don't want to be. Hans? Yeah, so I've also fun because... I actually thought you were going to say Raina because I know Raina is a good friend of yours as well. But I must say that I'm a big fan of hers because I love the interview with her because she can explain in such a clear and calm way. Okay, it's mostly about COVID. It's a topic that we want to avoid. But she gives very clear messages. So I really love that interview. Which people were saying that, Eva? Was it the healthcare workers who got infected saying I got it outside or was it hospital management? It was healthcare workers, but you wonder who had what information they had been given. Yeah. I think in Victoria, people are coming around to realising that most healthcare workers who are infected are being 
uh, infected at work, yeah. although there are statements to the contrary. So I think you have to look at vested interests and conflicts of interest here in attributing where people got infected. I know in New South Wales they're attributing just under half of the health worker infections to the workplace. In Victoria it was something like 17 to 20% only being attributed to the workplace. So in terms of attributing in the source of infection when it's a healthcare worker, I think it has to be done um, by an independent adjudicator who is not part of the hospital administration and is not part of the health department. And we'll have Rhina coming back early in the new year to talk about COVID and COVID vaccines and cancer. So we look forward to Rhina. We're so lucky to have had her so many times on the podcast. So let's not forget two other fabulous women we've had on. So it was Fran Boyle. Being empathic, which is what we want to be with our patients, requires a level of vulnerability. And so if we're all eyes on adrenaline burst the whole time, empathy will suffer, compassion will suffer. And those are actually the things that make it good to go to work. And Dorothy Keefe. Thank you very much for having me, Craig. I'm delighted. I think this is probably my favourite way of doing Journal Club. And a shout out, if you're an interesting person out there and would like to be on the podcast, please contact us and you never know, you might be our next OJC Meets. But that brings me to a couple of episodes that are coming up soon. One is Global Women in Oncology. So I've interviewed friends and colleagues and people I didn't know in India, Mexico and Brazil talking about their life in oncology there and how different or similar is it to our own practices. And we've got our disparities episode coming up as well. So lots of great stuff and wonderful to interview people. Grant MacArthur, the interview just out a couple of weeks ago, also both funny and very informative. So we hope you enjoy. And as the producer's prerogative, here's a few of my favourite bloopers and moments from the year to wrap us up. Baby shark, baby shark, baby shark, baby shark. So she's been sitting listening, and I don't think I've ever been on before where Eva's been silent for 24 minutes. So, Eva, is there anything you'd like to ask Dr Vogel before we let him get on with his day? When I'm listening to someone who's worthwhile, I don't have anything to uh, ask them. So maybe that's the issue. I remember my receptionist. Some lady says her brother is the head of oncology in Australia and she wants your email. I'm not going to give it to her. Who is this? (laughs) That's what you told me. And recently the NIH director, Francis Collins, declared that he would no longer participate in mammals. Do you know what a mammal is, Craig? A male animal by the sounds of it. It's an all-male panel. Ah. Sorry, I can hear giggling. Was that boring? (laughs) My mic was off, so you couldn't hear me. Mine was off, so it's the producer. (laughs) How unprofessional. That shows an important example in real life. You don't like it. Yes, Craig. What's your daughter's name? (laughs) Lana, why? Lana. 
I just want to reach out to you and say I'm really, really sorry <laughs> that your mum told that story to an international audience. I apologise. Luckily, nobody listens to the end. Oh, shut up. Regogo box. Regogo lux. Regogo lux. And Craig, we could post the uh, picture of Dr. Jeremy Shapiro in a mankini. Oh, let's not do that, please, Eva. We'll have no followers on social media if we do that. It's very hard to blind the person who's sitting on the toilet. <laughs> they know they got it. Yes. It's got to bring it up. Did you read the article? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just wanted to make sure I had the right information, Hans. And I always go, oh, great. It's a Zoom meeting rather than a face-to-face I can do some other stuff while I'm in the meeting. Oh, oh, no. No, Craig. No way, baby. Guten Morgen, Hans. He lives in Belgium, not in Germany. Wasn't it Dutch, Hans? No, it was sounded German. Ah, okay. How would you say it? Guten Morgen. That's what I said. Don't practice that. (laughs) It really has been a great privilege through 2020 to do the podcast. It's certainly keeping me up to date and on my toes, met and interviewed some wonderful people. So I look forward to a great podcast year in 2021. I'd like to thank Graham and Rachel, the production team, and of course, the wonderful Craig Underhill and the amazing, fantastic Hans Prennan. It's bye from me. Thank you, Eva. So I will try to double the listeners in 2021. So bye for me as well. And Eva, I would like to echo your thanks. Thanks to everyone who's listened. We welcome any feedback. If you see anything quirky or funny that you'd like mentioned, send it in. Thank you, Rachel, Graham and Eva for giving me the opportunity to participate. It has been great to be involved. And as you said, we've met some amazing people talked about some amazing stuff and had a lot of fun doing it. So, yeah, looking forward to next year. Thank you. Happy New Year, everybody. Bon année. Happy New Year. So, Hans, Baby Shark or Whale Song? (laughs) Hans, you're there. Hans, he doesn't want to sing again. Baby shark, do, 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 do. everyone <laughs> sing along. <laughs> Baby shark, do, 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 do. don't forget to listen to all our other oncology journal podcasts. And it's over and out. Goodbye, Craig Underhill. Thanks, Eva. You were brilliant. <laughs> You've been listening to the Oncology Podcast. If you enjoyed today's edition and would like to subscribe, head over to our website, oncologynews.com.au, and sign up to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.